Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Dina. Yo, Zach. Yo. Here we are, back again. Another episode of A Little More Good. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we just uh, had an amazing conversation. Who did we talk to this week, Dina? Today, we were talking to Tatalia. Uh, which is quite funny because we were both nervous about, you know, saying her name. Yes. Because it is a Squamish name. Yes. And if you're familiar with like the Coast Salish and Squamish like language groups, oftentimes you'll see there's different like, yes. you know, accents and inflections and even numbers. And Tatalia has a number in her name. And so for us it was like okay you know we don't want to like mess it up we don't want to say her name wrong spoiler i said it wrong and to tell did i say it right there yeah, you know, yeah. um so much grace and compassion just kind of looked at me with a smile on her eyes and allowed for me to, to yeah. try again and you know what and corrected you and corrected me and then you pronounced it and it was in some ways like the most beautiful start to the conversation because it, that's that little moment, which was an authentic moment, was so much of what our conversation is about, which is being trying our best, maybe making a mistake, but being able to receive, you know, kind of some guidance, some correction, and then move forward with a new and better understanding mm-hmm. that is like more honoring to everyone. So, yes, Tatalia Nahani was with us today, um, an amazing, inspirational person. I think that was the most impacted I was by one of our conversations in these podcast formats that I've I've had. I was just like so so present and um I learned a lot, but I was deeply impacted by those learnings today. Yeah. Yeah, each conversation is so unique because each person that we have the privilege of talking to is is unique and some but this one definitely resonated and i mean as you listen through even for for each of us throughout the conversation there was things that Natalia was sharing or just the way that she allowed us to kind of unpack and speak like afterwards i was felt like oh man like we we probably talked way too much but it was so gracious of her to give us space to think through and you know her presence here just the way she literally 
held space for two white guys to like work through mm-hmm. some of our colonial and neo-colonial privilege and understanding and kind of allow those shifts to happen in real time Yes, uh, was just immensely gracious of her and profound for us. And I hope that it translates into learning and experience for, for you uh, as a listener to, to recognize some of those things maybe within yourself too. But yeah, I love that as, as all great teachers, as, as she is, um, you know, Tatalia would share her, her teachings and we'd kind of take a moment to try to unpack it ourselves and, and she would allow for space for us to kind of, you know, clumsily kind of, uh, make our way to it make our way to some sort of understanding yeah but it it resonated when she she spoke about kind of having this like maternal presence even Mm. in some of her workshops and i was like oh yes Yes. i I feel that like i i felt it with her it was so great so she's got all these incredible workshops on her website yes decolonize everything.org is the website so she shares decolonizing practices are actions we can take, words we can say, and ideas we can unlearn, relearn, and learn to transform colonial impacts. Uh, Dean, do you want to highlight a couple of the, she's got like these amazing mini programs as well as these uh, workshops and workbooks uh, that you can purchase on her website. Um, they're all very generously priced, like I believe anywhere from like starting at like $20 and up. So it's like very approachable and inclusive uh, for, for everybody. Um, I did one of the, the mini programs on uh, decolonizing practices and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's great. They're amazing. Um, there's, yeah, there's some, so if you go to the website, decolonizeeverything.org, along the top, you'll see there's uh, facilitated workshops and then the on-demand like mini courses, which you can just, um, like Zach, I kind of click into and 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 go through. So there's something f- f- really for everyone here, uh, beginning with like territorial acknowledgments, or you might be familiar with them as like land acknowledgments. So how to how to do it, how to create and deliver yours in a way that's uh, intentional and meaningful. And as Italian said, like you would really believe every word that you say or have in it. There's uh, introducing decolonizing practices. So practices, actions we can take, words we can say, and ideas we can unlearn to undo colonial impacts. There's cultural protocols, cultural empathy, and cultural safety. Um, Restoring colonialism, etiquette for allies. I mean, there's lots on this site that is a huge resource. So definitely something that I will go back to for my own learning. And um, the game, she has a game too that sounds so fun. We gotta like, we gotta get people together to do this yes, game. Yes, and okay, and ladders. I think mm-hmm. we gotta have like a community gathering. Yeah, a little decolonizing game that uh, we could all definitely uh, benefit from. Yeah, she goes through it and unpacks it more in the episode. But uh, man, it sounds fun and yeah. like so important, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. That was a conversation that I'm so grateful that we had the privilege of of having. Um, Before we get into it, uh, what's good this week? What's going on, Dina? What's good? Well, yeah, besides besides that, my goodness. Um, February, it's February here. Feels like we're turning the tide towards uh, nicer weather, longer days. Feels like spring. It's February while we're recording, but this will probably come out at a... At a later date. That's so, true. Because yeah. there is no 
time or space in the, in the, the podverse. In the podverse, yeah. Probably cardinal rule of like podcasting is like don't say when it actually is. Yes. The secrets out, but you know yeah, what? Yeah. Fuck the rules. Oof. <laughs> rebel, rebel over there. Um, I listen, yeah. I listen to this podcast. Oh, I think I, I flipped it your way, and I'm pretty sure you listened to it too. Sure it's on, on Radio Lab. They, they they have some good stuff. Oh, I love Radio Lab. Yeah. Okay, so they had this one. This is maybe like a prequel that came out years ago, like 2017, 2018, about trees and the fungal kingdom being the original internet, how um, the fungal mushroom kingdom was connected, connecting hundreds of kilometers and underneath um, kind of channels below below the soil, mm-hmm. connecting trees hundreds of kilometers away, collecting connecting plants and communicating um, through this this mycelium network yeah. and they kind of had a follow-up on it and it was sharing it blew my mind um i can't remember the the woman's name but we'll find it and maybe we'll even see if she would be game to be a a, a guest in the future she was um studying the the canopies of uh these ancient uh, old growth forests in i believe washington um just just below us uh here and uh, she realized that there was soil on the canopy, and mm-hmm. the soil was so rich. It was like uh, this this nutrient rich soil uh, that was growing amazing mosses and um, so so nutrient dense, as I, I mentioned, and was fostering um, kind of this ecosystem that no one's seen anywhere. It had like life. Like there was like shrimp-like uh, life that was only otherwise seen in like in marine culture, marine um, kind of these plankton, kind of shrimp-like uh, animals, yeah. beings living in the, the soil and these canopy branches. And the soil would be like like a foot deep of this like rich, rich soil. And she kind of came to this conclusion that like we've been – eroding the soil and and just kind of not respecting or treating our forests well so that these these trees and their intelligence um were creating their own soil and their own ecosystem in the canopy and beyond that this is where it gets even mind blow more mind-blowing because these these ancient trees needed more nutrients to kind of foster their their health and, and well-being they started rerooting and growing roots from the canopy, from the top of the trees, and rooting into this rich soil that they were creating for themselves in this kind of closed ecosystem that they self-created, and it just kind of blew my mind. Yeah, so, so incredible. And, I mean... (laughs) And these are the old-growth trees that we're currently cutting down at record-breaking speeds. That's, yeah. Cutting down three soccer fields per day of old-growth uh, trees here in BC and we're just learning these new things now yeah like we, we're still learning the impact um, the importance of these trees every day I hope I hope we don't you know destroy it before we realize uh, exactly uh, how important they are to our greater ecosystem well that's just the thing like listening to that Radiolab podcast was so enlightening and ex- in- inspiring and exciting. And on the exact flip side, I, it was devastating because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, like these are the, these are the trees 
that were that are being cut down like and you know cutting down a, an old growth ancient tree you can't just replant one or two trees and have that like you can replant trees but like plus thousands of years is what's required mm -hmm. so like we it's just not worth it and then you find yeah people like i don't know i, I she was in the episode but i don't know if it was her suzanne samard mm. was that her who discovered it but she has she has a book like uh, about the finding the mother tree or whatever and how these these sacred ancient trees are instrumental to the health and well-being of the forest the planet ergo us <laughs> and this just yeah desire to cut them down is devastating yeah yeah i think um i mean we get into colonialism and neocolonialism and and decolonizing practices and i think one of them can be let's stop fucking cutting down all these old growth trees like we don't need our capitalistic system doesn't need the money from these ancient wonders uh, that connect us in so many ways to the land and provide us clean air and a strong ecosystem. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of trees that we can cut down. We've, you know, created tree farming and other practices that don't damage old growth and ancient growth forests. So uh, let's continue to learn what these what these trees are even doing before we take any negative action so yeah anyways the podcast as you mentioned was so inspiring and mind mind uh altering and awe-inspiring and equal parts saddening and devastating so well we'll throw it up in the show notes it's like a shorty it's like 20 minutes yeah um basically as long as our introductions <laughs> are um but yeah check it out check it out it's well worth well worth a listen for sure and uh yeah, kind of ties in, kind of ties into to the conversation that we we had today with Tatalia, where we're saying about you know this wisdom and things that have been ruptured and taken advantage of, taken for granted, lost, ruined, destroyed, um, but you know holding on to the reality that like there are still old growth trees, we can still save them, and you know the indigenous peoples of this land aren't historical figures they're current they're living they're full of vitality and life and we can correct the historical wrongs of colonialism by living into um, an embodied space of being aware unlearning relearning putting into self-actualization some of the things that we're going through and understanding and it's not too late but there's work to be done there's work to be done. All right, let's get into this podcast. Yes. Tatalia and the honey, everyone. All right. Welcome, uh, Tatalia. 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 I was going to say, make sure, i got to make sure I'm saying that right. And you guys are going to do a land acknowledgement, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So it's yes. Tatalia. Tatalia. Thank you, Tatalia, for, for joining us and taking the time to uh, be here with us today in, in sunny Seaston and we yes. appreciate uh, the work you're doing and and the educating you're doing we're, we're excited to be your students and and learn learn with you and learn from you and yeah just appreciate you being here and we've yeah we've done uh, we've done it before in some of our pod intros but in keeping with with the theme of our conversation today yes sunny Seaston but originally known as the 
the fishing grounds of the Musqueam people, people of the eelgrass, and uh, the Hunkaminam language group here. So we know uh, as we live, work, and play on this land, we're grateful to the people that came before us and that it is the traditional and unceded lands of those Musqueam people. So, yeah, our home. We know that you've you, you mentioned pre-pod that you come down here and walk the river and, you know, the boardwalk and the town or the village here of Steeston. And it's where we're always out running and raising our kids and, yeah, hopefully being stewards of this land. So thank you for being here with us in this place, in this space, on this beautiful sunny day. Hosea, mm, yeah, really appreciating uh, remembering the ancestors and being out here with you. Nath Tatalia, Michelle Nahaini Kui Ansna, Eslahan Ohomeo, Sko Omish Ot Ohomeo. Good to be a guest out here in uh, my relatives, Musqueam territory. And yeah, I just always love this river. Um, come out here pretty regularly in my work. I, I need to connect with water and um, um, it's very much in our teachings of the the cleansing and the strengthening that the river gives us. So um, I do come out here pretty regularly with my husband. And so, yeah, I appreciate the invitation today. We'll of see course. You. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, it made me happy to hear that uh, you and your husband come and, and go for walks down here because usually we kind of joke that this is our tourism for Steveston and a lot of our guests haven't made it out this far. So yeah. it's nice that uh, this isn't your first time in this uh, this little neighborhood. Yeah. And we also have another special guest with us. Yeah, who, who, <laughs> keeping you company here, Natalia. Who else do we have with us here? Yeah, I always uh, travel with my uh, guard dog, Chomsky. <laughs> Chomsky is a Pomsky, maybe five pounds, uh, just the sweetest, smartest little dog I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you hear some barks, it's just some uh, some extra wisdom and knowledge being shared uh, yeah. in the conversation today. Love it. My kids, like I said earlier, my kids are going to be so ripped off that there was a dog here. There was always, Dad, can we please get a dog? Like, Maybe we'll see. And they'll be like, there, there was a dog here. <laughs> so. I know. One of my one of my sons desperately wants a dog and the other one's like so scared of dogs. Mm-hmm. We went down to McDonald Beach on the weekend and one was chasing the dogs and one wouldn't go down from my shoulder. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Chomsky's like a safe Chom- like introduction safe. to dogs. I think so. You know, I so think so. Sweet. Anyhow. Well, there's, there's so much that we want to learn and unpack today. Um, just thinking back to, to our own learnings and now our unlearnings, like growing up here in Steveston, like during, during high school, the education that we were brought up with, we've now learned was, was so flawed and so wrong. And, um, you know, we celebrated these, these colonial, um, I don't even know which, which, word to use for them these crusaders that came and took land here and uh, they were falsely celebrated in our high school text and I think it's it's been a great unlearning to see you know the the true history of of what's taken place on this land that we now call Canada and um, I thought maybe we could start with kind of defining colonialism and neocolonialism just for some context to the conversation that we're going to have today yeah sure I mean I I really started bringing the word neocolonialism into the conversation um, because people really think of colonialism as things that happened a long time ago, right? When our land was stolen, when we were legislated into poverty and separation from our families, from our cultures, you know, through the residential school system, things like that. And then, of course, all that erasure uh, about what actually happened. So that's what colonialism is, right? It's the all of the systems um, that take the land, that separate the original people of the land uh, from the land and, and all the resources 
uh, of the land. And then it's also the erasing of the stories, right? And the normalizing of um, of whose lives and cultures and, and uh, values are more important, right? So those are all systems of colonialism. And then neocolonialism really is how those things show up now, mm-hmm. right? So statistics of... Um, you know, education or uh, justice or child welfare, you know, all those words mean very different things to indigenous peoples um, uh, than to other other peoples um, who aren't um, oppressed by colonialism, right? So there's a percentage of the population who benefit from colonialism, whose uh, families, you know, gain intergenerational wealth from colonialism. And then there are our families who are gained into generational trauma. And I've literally drawn graphics, you know, to sort of show the link between those things. And then colonialism is the, is the normalization, the erasure of the information, mm-hmm. right? So that uh, people who are benefiting don't have to feel uh, uncomfortable, you know, and people who are not benefiting uh, don't have access or words um, or power to express how they're feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So those are them. That's my gist of colonialism and neocolonialism. Yeah, I think that's really helpful in terms of not just relegating it to the past as something that happened, because often that's part of the conversation that people use in defense of their current posture and current understanding is like, oh, well, like that's what happened. And like, I wouldn't do that. And I'm not responsible for that. So, but then that's just bringing in that like neo-colonial element where it's like, you don't actually see how you're benefiting from this whole system. Mm-hmm. It was a helpful clarification, I think. I like what you said about the uncomfortable aspect too, because I think um, a lot of us colonial settlers have gotten used to a certain amount of privilege um and um to address that you have to be uncomfortable you have to be willing to get uncomfortable to become more self-aware of of this privilege that we've inherited just by just by being born um so i think to to start to learn decolonizing practices we have to um, understand our, our privilege from the colonial system that has benefited many of us, Dean and myself included. Um, it starts with, for myself, like understanding that, that I've benefited from like colonial settlers here on Canada. Um, so I like that part about being uncomfortable and I encourage everyone listening to like find their own go into those corners of, of being uncomfortable and embrace it so that we can all hopefully learn and um, get to a place of of self-actualizing or, or better understanding our, our place on, on this uh, on this land here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I, I, I say that's your new gauge. Yeah. You know? Like mm-hmm. you actually know that you might be doing something right or thinking something in a different way if you do feel uncomfortable. Right. Right. Where if, if you're making decisions or you're enacting something and, and you're still comfortable, then it's probably colonial <laughs> conditioning. That's the, the phrase that I come up with. Um, mm. You know, just to take the blame off of the individual person, you know, that we're all conditioned in different ways. We could be, yeah, conditioned with the privilege, like you said, to think that, you know, it's it's great to, to have everything that, that you want. And then the conditioning, you know, on Indigenous folks like myself, my own decolonizing journey, you know, has been to understand that, things that I went through weren't my fault, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't my fault. It was a system, um, you know, 
that hurt my family, that uh, hurt my community, you know, and that, so just this idea of conditioning, taking it outside yourself, I think really helps with the discomfort and a lot of the work that I've created, um, the game and the workbooks and all the things that we'll get into are really about, yeah, supporting um, people just to take the first steps into the journey, you know, to move uh, beyond that, what I call neo-colonial denial. That's yes. literally the first square of, of my game, Sinokai and Ladders. But um, it also even helps, you know, to have something to call it, that neo-colonial denial, that, that statement of, oh, it happened a long time ago, it has nothing to do with me, you know, mm-hmm. and just to help people to, to think about it in that way. And like, um, I literally use the five stages of grief in one of my workbooks, right, that sure you're going to go into anger and you're going to feel defensive and you're going to you know go through this um series of of emotions and really a process of grieving who you are and um everything that you've been taught like you said you know Mm -hmm. and but really that's just the the first stage of it you know um and then i think i'm pretty excited to like um you know once we can actually be like in a state of of um of good relations with each other that's what i call it and i really lean back on our indigenous teachings and how we lived here for thousands of years mm-hmm. right like with each other taking care of each other as separate nations um on shared territory um you know taking good care of this river and all the incredible salmon that came from systems of governance and this in- indigenous intelligence um and sacred laws that you know have been erased you know from popular culture but that we still practice yeah and they look like songs and dances you know but they're also intermarriage they're also really are truly law um that kept things in balance um so yeah that's really where i'm heading though is all of the things the things that i make are are just to support people uh, to think about that journey and to stay to stay with it mm. yeah that's really good. I can remember just as you're even speaking there, I like I can remember a couple moments where I had that like awareness of uh, like I I understood it in a new, maybe like semi post colonial uh, understanding. And one of them is that you, you touched on like the shared land and how it's overlapped. And I remember as a young kid and there was talk of like treaties and land and stuff. And it should we saw the, the overlay of all of the different nations cl- claim to land is how it was phrased. Here's this nation and this nation and see how they all claim the same land. And seeing that as like, well, is they like they don't even know who owns it. It's it's like and somehow that that makes it like it's made up. Oh, we're just trying to grab all this land. And no, no, this one's ours and this one's ours. And so all of what was it, like 300 percent of the current makeup of Canada is like claimed as indigenous land it's like well no the idea is that it's shared and even the idea of ownership of land is something that's like more modern and western it's like you can buy and own land rather than use it and share it and facilitate it and steward it and so when i shifted from that kind of like well how do you how can you prove that it's your land if those people say it's their land and whose land is it and da 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 but then realizing oh no because the entire idea of how we use and utilize space and land itself is so different than that understanding. And like, what is the first thing we always teach our kids? It's like, share, share, share. And then somehow we like, we get to a place where we get old enough and we acquire enough wealth that we're like, yeah, but this is mine. Yeah. And we're like, we're not going to share it. Or we deem things some as 
some things is too valuable. So we're not going to share those things. And like that is, yeah, even, even understanding that if you go today to like, whose land am I on? You will see how overlapped it is. And that's such a beautiful picture. And there's wisdom in there that we need to learn from to say, oh, surprise, surprise, we can all share it. And there is enough for everybody. Yeah, I so appreciate you sharing the the trajectory of that understanding, right? And it's true. I, I use the term like to have a colonial lens on something and then to have a decolonial lens. Mm-hmm. So the colonial lens is, yeah, your understanding of fee simple land ownership, that this is my family, that's your family, here's all of the the deeds, you know, to the land, right? And that 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 uh, parcel of land benefits this one family. Versus I this um, the decolonial lens, which would be to really see the incredible um, intelligence of this of shared territory mm-hmm. and, and and what kind of systems were in place, uh, and what kind of ca- community care uh, was in place, right? On, on in this macro level, um, you know, and we we teach that in our territorial acknowledgments workshop, you know that. Um, you know, you can't just look at, at the one map and want to know, but who's, but who's does this part yeah, belong like to? Definitively, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but really, you know, and, and just really helping people get over that, um, like just barrier of, of understanding this completely different way. Like, um, you know, the colonial lens is land as a resource. And we often talk about land as a relative, mm. right? So the, so that we're all one thing, um, you know, as Squamish, uh, I'm a Squamish nation member, and on our, uh, our, our name is Squamish Oth Ohomeo. So Squamish Oth Ohomeo translates to Squamish Nation, but Ohomeo actually means belonging, that the, the land, the water, the people, everything that's on the land all belongs to each other. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a very different way than the, its translation of nation, which is a elected <laughs> officials like governing the yeah. nation, right? Yeah. Whereas for us, a nation is like, is belonging to each other, taking care of each other. Yeah, it's reciprocal. Yeah, like yeah, that's beautiful. It makes so much more sense too. Like when you think of planet Earth and all of its inhabitants, the animals, the plants, the trees, all of the various kingdoms. Like, deers and birds aren't being like that country or that country. They're they're migrating <laughs> yeah. throughout the whole Earth yeah. in in unison and and working. Um, you know, collectively with the the flow of, of the earth. Um, and there's no borders being like, oh, we have to stop flying right here because we're no longer in, you know, Canada or Poland or wherever they're flying, right? Yeah. It's such a silly notion when you start to think of how the billions of other inhabitants of, of earth operate. There, there really aren't borders. Maybe like for some animals, there's, there's boundaries of safety and, and whatnot, but uh, there sure aren't lines on maps like we've our colonial mm-hmm. mind mindset and history has has created mm-hmm. yeah. e- even like here like I mean, we're recording at dean's place like I, c- I can see the border of dean's property to the next property and it's like it is all silly when you think about just our existence you know and and our you know our, our time here and how yeah like i mentioned all these other animals and inha- inhabitants wouldn't like uh not like if we let Chomsky out, you know, Chomsky would go explore wherever because that's natural for, for animals. And that's really what we are at the basis of our existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things that I've learned recently, too, is even how, like, let's call it 
Western or modern empirical science is validating traditional ecological knowledge or indigenous wisdom or indigenous science where it comes to like land and connection is that idea that we can go through now and do the DNA testing and put it in a lab and and see things that are verifying and teaching us what has been always known and shared <laughs> through indigenous wisdom, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's so important to to recognize that this isn't like new information. Perhaps it's a new way of showing it or teaching it or or telling the story of it, but it's not new. Mm-hmm. But for some people that that gives a bit of a bridge to say, oh, like we understand that this ecosystem is like intricately connected. And if we remove one part or damage one part with a dam or a condo building or whatever it might be, like this is going to have impacts on all of these other things and we can measure it and do all the data. But like that traditional wisdom has always known the connection of the forest to itself and to the animals and to us and that we need it. And now we're in whatever year two of a pandemic that uh, early on, a lot of people were saying, this is just just like reaping the reward of how we've mistreated and mishandled the planet. And we saw how quickly things went back to like their more pristine sense when we stopped for a minute, all of the stuff we were doing, right? And recognizing that there have been people who've been saying this for a very long time, and we just like haven't been listening or haven't valued those statements and those understandings in the way that we should have yeah and i think that's the that's the neo-colonialism right it's even in words like you said land claims right mm-hmm. so you think about the language or you know this is science but our our ideas are legends mm-hmm. right and so there's always this subtext of it's wrong like it's not real it's you know just some storytelling um and so yeah, I think really, un- really, that's what undoing colonial impacts is. I mean, there's so many things that you can be doing, and um, and one of them is really just looking at that language, right, and mm-hmm. changing how you speak about things and uh, correcting um, where, like, other people where you can, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think for for all of us too, like, to be open to that correction and then not feel like that it's somehow personal, mm-hmm. but to just be open to that learning, right? And it's, it's, yeah, you can you can misspeak about something and it doesn't make you a bad person, mm-hmm. but if you are not open to learning and just continue to like misspeak or not take the time to learn, oh, how could I properly say this? Then it's like you, you have more work to do mm-hmm. than just simply like standing corrected and being like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know it, that that was a better way to say it. And it can be uncomfortable, but I think that's part of what we all need to do is to be open to that. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've we've done it. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, indeed. I think it's everyone else's turn Sorry. now, you know. Totally. We were really, really good at um you know, at uh, at innovation at like I said, this shared territory at you know, um just showing up in 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 this world, contemporary world, you know, with our teachings. Like I always like to joke like that, you know, I know how to skin a duck and I know Photoshop and they're both Squamish things because I do them, right? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. you know, I think Indigenous folks are, um, you know, people often talk about our resilience, right? That we have this resilience for all the things that we've gone through uh, in terms of colonialism. And I'm looking to everybody else now, you know, where's your resilience, mm-hmm. right? So, 
to be uncomfortable about being wrong or not wanting to try to say a, a Squamish word, for example, right? Like there's so much um, talk about, should we use the Squamish place names? You know, how do we pronounce the seven? And <laughs> there's yeah. just, you know, like just try it. Yeah. Right? So, how, so how would you? Because I always, people say that we've had visitors, you know, we drive up to, to Squamish or to Whistler or somewhere and they see and they're like, what is with that street sign? Like, yeah. So how do you pronounce the seven? It's just a space. Okay. Right? So, for example, we have this word ta'a. That's like grandma, right? It's T-A-7-A-H. Okay. Right? So it's just a space or my name, Tatalia. Tatalia. Yeah. You get that space between yeah, the first. Yeah, it's just a space. Ta- oh, okay. Yeah. I love that. We all need more space anyways. Yeah. yeah. And also there are resources, right? So there's uh, uh, the Squamish Atlas, for example, is this incredible website, um, Indigenous-led initiative. And... You can click on the map and they'll and it gives you the pronunciation, mm-hmm. right? So it's really just the time um, and um, and then support for these kind of projects, right? So they yeah. have a, I think they have a, a fundraising thing at the bottom that you can click and send them some cash if you're using it, you know, but cool. definitely check out Squamish Atlas and it's another practice to decolonize and really like move past that um, colonial perfectionism, right? Of like, I don't know how to say it, so I'm not going to say it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, we all know how to say Beyonce now. <laughs> you know, we can learn how to say yeah. Tatalia. Yes. <laughs> yes, right? Oh, that's so good. And it is part of that process. Like, and I think that you know, I was having a conversation, so I teach part-time as well. We were having a conversation today with students um, uh, doing a current, although it was from last week, but the current event of uh, the removal of the uh, John Dayton Gassy Jack sure. statue in Gastown, right? And having having that conversation about you know, motivations behind that. What does that symbolize both him, his statue being there and it being pulled down? And what are some like other options that people would consider so that the history isn't lost, but he's not celebrated, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things that, you know, a student said was like, well, couldn't they just have like a QR code? Because no one's going to read a plaque, but like if they have a QR code that you can scan and brings up this information about not only you know, this man and his legacy in Vancouver, but like the woman and women that were, you know, were young women who was married to a 12 year old girl well, who ran away. Well, that's not necessarily true. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but I wonder like, is there a space where in things like that, as we're going through and you see a, you know, a sign in Squamish and it says like SQ7 that someone could just like take a picture and it would translate, you know, Mm-hmm. And they could just learn how to say it there and then feel more uh, able to just recognize it. And anyway, but enlighten me. What's I want to learn about this? Well, I read something that some of the Squamish elders were not happy with how the statue was taken down because it, there was a plan. Um, there was some conversation already for, happening. Right? For the elders to, to take it down on their terms versus mm-hmm. what happened. Can, can we... We don't have to touch on it, but yeah, we uh, can. Sure, yeah. I think it's such a. It's a. I mean, it's a good thing to talk about because it really shares the complexity, and it's never just you know why can't they just do this or why can't they yes. just do that, right? Like we are collective people, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, you know, I'm pretty um, open about all my opinions on my Instagram at decolonize first, and um, I have a lot of. Um, media asking me to like give the soundbite like give me the soundbite like give me like boil it down for me right and um, I just refuse to I just refer them to the nation um, 
because we're a collective people. And so I can't just speak on behalf of all Squamish people. You know, honestly, just like you can't speak on behalf of all white males in Steveston, yeah. right? Like, but for some reason, that's part of the racism. That's part of the neocolonialism, mm-hmm. right? Is, is first of all, it's, you know, why can't they all decide one thing? Why mm-hmm. can't they all uh, feel one way about it? Well, we're not this homogenous group. We're like any other humans. We have different ideas about what should happen. But, but ultimately, um, what we respect the most about that situation is, how did the descendants feel? Mm-hmm. So how did the descendants of Madeline uh, feel? And what do they want? Mm-hmm. You know, and so that has been in uh, in conversation uh, for a few years um, with the city and uh, I think the Gastown BIA working with the nation um, to respect what the descendants wishes were, mm-hmm. right? And there was some ceremonies um, that were planned and there was... Um, people are trying to find ways to speak about it publicly that still honor our our laws and ways about speaking um, and so or even like how old was how old was Madeline and what did it mean what did that marriage mean mm-hmm. right because um, you know sh- some people have said, oh, you know, the R word and been very triggering about the whole thing. And other people have said, um, elders, you know, who have taught me well, um, that, you know, the person wasn't, the wife wasn't 12 um, and that, you know, she would have come over t- to the city like as a as a honoring of her auntie, mm-hmm. right? And she would have come and sort of, taking care of of the situation because everything that I've read actually about his wife is that uh, she was the one running the businesses. Mm, she was the business mind <laughs> behind the uh, the biz- the business of Gastown and yeah. the hotel and everything that happened, you know, but had to, you know, that he was the front man. <laughs> well, and which makes sense. <laughs> because she wouldn't have the legal power, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But everything that I know about Squamish women's history, including quotes from oblate chiefs, uh, priests who were, um, there's quotes about how surprised they were by the um, negotiating skills of Squamish women, mm-hmm. right? So there's a legacy of, of us leading business and of us being very clear about what we want and how we want to do things, right? Yeah. And so a lot of people are upset about yeah, the painting of our relative, um, you know, as a, as only as a victim, mm-hmm. right? And that's, I guess, you could read on my face the reaction when you started to to tell that victim narrative. And there have been a few Squamish members who have gone very public, um, seeing only that one side of the story when there are many other sides to the story. And and our teachings as Squamish people, you know, we're still very much value consensus. We um, still very much listen across difference, and we make this takes us a long time to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So there's a story of our um, of our amalgamation, um, where when our lands were being stolen in the early 1900s, you know the chiefs started to meet, um, and there was 10 years of discussion on how to form Squamish Nation as an amalgamation of uh, 16 villages. Right, that's yeah. a long time. Yeah to listen to each other, right? And negotiate and 
um, basically form this um, alliance together in the face of colonialism, in the face of, you know, this, the theft of our children, the theft of our land, the legislated disconnection from, um, from the economy. Like we weren't allowed to buy equipment. We weren't allowed to meet in, in groups of more than six people. So my great-grandfather founded the Bows and Arrows Union. It was the first uh, labor union that was indigenous-led. Oh, wow. But what's so interesting is it was definitely for labor rights, but it was also so that people could meet and organize politically, right? So there's just so much indigenous intelligence that's baked into all of these mm-hmm. things and, and, and our Squamish ways of doing things, which are take longer, you know, but they're very beautiful and they're very like um, just easier than a, not as easy as this that can be put into a soundbite. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't even share with you, you know, all of the things that I know about this because I have people that have taught me sort of what I'm allowed to share and what I'm not allowed to share. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think we can all take longer in most things because we're a society that is so quick to jump to conclusion and jump to reaction. If yeah. we took longer to listen before we speak and to learn before we we judge, I mean, that would be progress right there. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. And I'll just share too, like, you know, I also make mistakes. I, I felt, um, you know, we shared the pulling down of the statue. Actually, I usually go every year to the march. Um, I've, I've had a bit of a hip injury, so I, I didn't go this year, but I was ex- excited to see that. I was yes. excited to see that power. And, yeah. Um, and then at the same time, you know, I, I was um, reading some of my relatives' responses on Facebook and talking with um, people that I care about and feeling the hurt, you know. And so the next day I put out another post about, you know, sort of that people need to really, like, uh, uh, understand the complexity of, of a nation, you know, that we're, we're many people, <laughs> yes. you know, that would have lots of different ideas like everybody else. And so I'm happy to always share like my own learning and unlearning. And mm-hmm. I get caught up in the conditioning and want the, want the um, heads up, you know, like everybody else. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then pull back into thoughtfulness and, um, and, and then regroup with that. So, yeah, no, that's so important. That's an important lesson too. And like, I think that when, as colonialism was unfolding kind of in its first iteration, like one of the values was expediency and getting things done and pushing things through and just making it happen. And I mean, that value has lasted and in many ways just been like sped up rapidly in our our culture today is so fast that we want to know what is it? What is it about? What's the answer? What do I need to know? And then on to the next thing. And it's not, we don't actually value the knowledge. We just value the knowing. Like it's just, I just need to know so that I can share or have an opinion or whatever it might be and not taking the time to gather all of the information or the story or to be thoughtful about like, Oh, okay. What does it say about this person? If they, you know, depending on the situation where they coming to support and be there for their auntie, uh, did she eventually run away from him Maybe, maybe not, but how do we see that as less of a victim and more of an empower, empowerment move that young women today can say, yes, I can be a strong, independent person. I don't need a male. And to learn, oh yeah, probably the brains behind the business was not the chatty, right, gassy Jack out in front doing all this stuff. But And if we just get the quick facts, we can miss like the deeper understanding there. And I think that's to slow down and learn and listen is so important. For, mm-hmm. for all of us. Yeah. 
You, you said something, and I mentioned this on their little pre-pod chat uh, when I was listening to one of your other podcasts, how perfection is a colonial practice. And I shared that I felt a little nervous going into this interview because I didn't want to say the wrong things. And mm. I started that off by mispronouncing your name, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Bullseye. Um, but um, that kind of gave my gave permission to give myself grace to like be a student to learn and to like be okay with making mistakes and to be uncomfortable and I thought maybe we could kind of get into the the practice of of decolonizing the decolonizing practices and what they are and and why they're important for us to to all work on collectively mm-hmm. and maybe from like a individual sense but also as like a collective sense as well so we can learn how to take individual action with the hope of taking collective action mm-hmm. yeah they're definitely um connected right so i always talk about that personal change and the systemic change and they go hand in hand um i've met a, um, too many people who want to do systemic change and they just haven't really done the personal work yes so they're coming in with their big colonial sledgehammer you know helping and bossing around and not valuing and not being thoughtful um so that personal work is so important too and yeah i mean i started talking about the the perfectionism and um and this idea of decolonizing practices um you know, when I when I wrote my thesis about decolonizing identity, and I was um, really committed to taking the word decolonization like out of academia and bringing it into our everyday lives, and not so much arguing about the noun, what does the noun mean, and whether or not it would actually happen. Decolonizing, taking the verb, right, and then the practices, all those little things, right. So my definition is um, actions you can take, words you can say ideas you can unlearn to transform colonial impacts it's the the definition that i that i share that i it's like the foundation of all of my work um because we really do need to practice to be better mm-hmm. right in the same way that like i said i've pra- been practicing undoing the my colonial conditioning of being less than or of being you know um, I mean, if you would have asked me, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, would I be talking about these things? I'd be like, no way. Like, why would I, why, why would I do that? And now I'm just sort of like, actually, we need every person, hmm. right? We need every person within your own sphere of influence to do what you can, right? And that's the practices. So if they're actions, if they're words or their ideas, you know, um, every day showing up um, with what you can focus on. Because also the project is so massive, right? And so a lot of people will just you know, sort of absolve themselves on, on, of anything because it's just too big. Mm-hmm. So it will never happen, right? And so that's, again, why I focus on this idea of practices. And, and then my game, you know, Sinokai and Ladders, it's really all about the do-over uh, for me, you know, that, you know, we have, we've never really had a chance to get things right, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know the path. Especially on the first try, you know? Especially on the first try. Yeah. Like, you know, whether it's how to say a Squamish name, yes. right? Or or how to or or how to understand, you know, your own power uh, and bias when you show up and think it takes practice to do that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like like and like any other thing that, that, that you're learning to do. But, you know, sometimes I like to talk about how um, you know, I grew up in the seventies, right? And like when everyone smoked around their kids and no one wore seatbelts and you know, yeah. like and probably did all and 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 nobody recycled yeah. you know and like 
some weirdos thought it was important and convinced other people, right? And and then 30 years later, you have public infrastructure, you have legislation, mm -hmm. you have public education and communication that we all know that we should do these things. And really the same things could happen with racism, the same things could happen with colonialism, uh, with white supremacy, with, you know, things that we're not allowed to talk about now. You know, that's probably how it seemed years ago if you, when you told someone hey you probably shouldn't smoke around your kids you know they'd be like what are you crazy yeah <laughs> yeah and so, look look around everyone's doing it yeah. right yeah so so this is where we need to be you know like 20 mm. 30 years from now you know and it starts with these conversations it starts with more people exploring what it means i don't know what it means in every single context yeah right but my work is to prepare everyone to work within your own context to do the change that you can and to do it in a good way um, without perfectionism for yourself, mm -hmm. right? And then to really get in that relationship with perfectionism, like who's your perfectionism serving, mm. right? If you decide to not do a land acknowledgement because you don't know how to pronounce that word, then your perfectionism is serving the erasure of indigenous place names, mm. right? If you like can have that conversation with yourself, they're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm actually going to try this and I'm going to be humble with myself and the people around me, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. then you're going to get, just get better and better at it. That's really just a door opening, right? you know, into all, into all other ways, understanding, like I said, other ways of being in relation to the land, being in relation to yourself, being in relation to your business, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, um, yeah, that's my, those are my thoughts on on the perfectionism yeah it's really helpful because sometimes it is it's like that starting point and you know you're not going to get it right or perfectly but don't let that stop you and i think uh, there's a lot to be said about when your intentions are right you can still be harmful and hurtful right if you're just kind of like ignorant or whatever but if your intention is pure and you're you're acting now out of that then typically like that's a safe place to make a mistake because you can explain, oh, this is what I was intending. Like I wanted to do a proper land acknowledgement, but like, oh, I didn't know how to say that. I'm sorry I didn't say it correctly. Mm -hmm. Can you teach me? Mm -hmm. Like that's far different than just ignoring it or not doing it or being like, well, I don't want to look foolish, so I'm not going to do it. But those little, those little steps that we can take, and I think it, well, like anything, right? I mean, when we are vulnerable and put ourselves out there a little bit, it makes it okay for another person to also be that and do that, which makes it then okay for more people. And then collectively we can start to move forward to like a better understanding of our place together in this world. But yeah, it takes, it takes a little bit of courage and willingness to, you know, wear the egg on your face, so to speak of like yeah. making a mistake, but I don't think that should ever stop us. Mm -hmm. Cause then like you had said, so, so appropriately and importantly like that we're part of then the erasure which I don't think anyone wants to be. Right. right, exactly. They would identify, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. But like, but then you have to be willing to do, do this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hearing you say that, because I've been trying to do my learning on anti-racism in the last couple of years, like uh, it kind of made it feel obvious that not doing an anti, uh, not doing a, a land acknowledgement is, is, is a form of racism because it's, erasing a culture and a group of people um so it might be 
someone thinking they're not racist versus being anti-racist. Um, so thank you for sharing that because I'm going to do a better job at trying to do more land acknowledgements because it has made me nervous in the past because I've had a fear of saying things incorrectly. So yeah. I appreciate that invitation to, to get things wrong and, and uh, I don't want to participate in erasure of uh, people's history. So yeah, thank you. absolutely. Mm-hmm. No. And I think, yeah, I mean, I started um, talking about it because I think the practice was waning, you know, first we had the city of Surrey and then we had saying like, we don't have to do this. Yes. Right? And then you had the premier of Alberta saying the same thing. And then, and then I think what I'd been seeing too is, um, you know, criticism towards folks who were doing land acknowledgements, like, Hey, that's not enough. You know, mm-hmm. like, how would you feel if I took your pen and just acknowledge that I have your pen now, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's yeah. really yeah. like what it is, yeah. right? Um, yeah. at, at a very surface level. And so, um, and so I started just to see the practice waning and people being nervous to do it. And, and so I started offering, I, I offered a workshop last year and just like thousands of people <laughs> were signing up because I knew that they were feeling this way and it had become this copy and paste corporate messaging. Mm. Um, it's on your email footer, but you don't know how to pronounce all those nations anyways, right? Yeah. You just put them on there. And so I've just started explaining it as this real, just like first step doorway, you know, and just to see it as that, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and to not get hung up on, um, um, you know, that it's just about acknowledging the land because I don't even like the word acknowledgement. I think that the acknowledge has that same legend subtext. It has, right. the, you know, do you acknowledge what job you do or do you acknowledge <laughs> you have blue eyes or do yeah, you acknowledge, right. you know, yeah. like it's still like about you, yeah. right? <laughs> Rather than you're on this these nations territory and this is you know what it means to you right mm-hmm. so I've been just sharing uh, a lot more we do uh, we do workshops and we also have an on demand um, that's about all of this stuff to really support people to 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 get into it and see it as as a new way of being and I think it's really life changing um, it's what I share in my workbooks is that you know when you do that you know your um, it's a medicine for you mm-hmm. to connect mm-hmm. to the land, mm-hmm. right? It puts you in those relations. And what I was always taught by my auntie, I used to travel a lot for my business is, um, you know, if she said, as long as the ancestors know that you're, that you're there to, to do good work and work in a good way, you'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And so that's what I do. I show up and announce who I am, what I'm doing here, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, how much appreciation I have for the ancestors and, you know, I do it as my way of being in good relations. And so start from there, right? And, and let it grow. And, and, and I think too, it kind of got stuck in this, like, um, I call it like the mad libs of an, a territorial acknowledgement. Like, should I say unseated or should I say yeah. these things? And what I say is, you know, examine each word, right? Mm-hmm. Do you agree that it's unseated? Because unseated is a euphemism for stolen. Yes. Right. So, do you want to say unseated or do you want to just say, yeah, this is Amazon stolen land, you know? Um, but you decide, like, I don't tell people, I always say it would be so colonial of me to tell you actually how to do all these things, you know? And isn't it interesting that like the, the people who have inherited the colonial legacy are like, just tell us, tell us what to do. And you're like, no, like, this is not how it works. Like, but the irony is like so thick that it, what is wanted often is like, what is not needed, but it's like what we're so used to. Just tell me what I'm supposed yeah. to say. I'm it's stuck like, in the colonial mindset, still yeah. want the colonial direction yeah. so that we can 
put things in a box. Yeah, write the test, get the A, yes. on to the next thing, yes. right? It's not meaningful for you. It's not part of your life practice then. Yeah. You know. Well, so. and that's I think that's an important note to touch on too is like I've been to different places and events or whatever and it, it feels like and I could be wrong in my perception, but it feels like sometimes there are people who it's very genuine and authentic and quite meaningful when they do, you know, the land acknowledgement or recognition. Um, and for others, it feels like it's the thing they have to check off the box and they, it's just words that they're saying, but there's not a lot of meaning behind it. And so it's interesting because I think that it is important um, when we do have like different events or whatever it might be. Um, but it's, there's that tension that emerges of like, is someone just saying this because they have to say it or is someone saying this because they're trying to embody it and understand it and truly say like, yes, we are here doing our thing, but let's remember where we are. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to, as we start to practice it to like make sure that we're living it. And it's not just like a once in a while thing, or like you say, that kind of stuff at the bottom of your email because yeah. it's important or it looks respectful or has us makes you look a certain way that's right yeah Shouldn't so then you're that. doing it for social capital right? uh -huh. you're doing it to look a certain way right is that really what is that really what you're doing because you're right it shows yeah. you can tell you can feel it and you see it and to me that's that spiritual thing that's going on you know like that when you really feel it and it, and it changes if it changes you like how you want to move forward when you hear someone do that that's mm -hmm. that's the good work that's that medicine that i'm talking about yeah yeah which is so good because I think that it's too easy. It's too easy to just add it in as like another thing that we do. Mm -hmm. I was just picturing people like copying and pasting it from emails as you're talking about it. And that mm -hmm. kind of misses the some of the the spiritual aspect that you're talking about if you're just copying and pasting. Yeah. Do you think there's there's possibility that even if someone enters something to check a box that it could be the gateway, the door that will take them to a further practice, even if, even if it starts without, let's say, without authentic uh, meaning or, or connect connection. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. To keep going. And the other thing I really encourage people do to do, because I've heard people be worried that someone would call them out or someone mm -hmm. would ask them, you know, why that matters. And um, I always say, like, so you should know the answer to that question. You should know why you're doing it and why it's important to you, right? And that will actually give you like more of that authenticity that you're talking about, mm -hmm. right? So if you say to someone, yeah, I know I pronounced it wrong, but I'm, I'm, I do not want to erase indigenous place names and culture. <laughs> who's going who's gonna to stop you from there, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm um, just knowing it and having that conversation about like about it with yourself and why why it's valuable. And that's also how you get other people interested in the conversation, right? It's like you can only um, people will say that too. Well, how do I get other people excited? Well, tell them what it means to you, mm -hmm. right? Tell them why you do it um, and what it's meant to your life, like the trajectory that you shared earlier, right. you know, from looking at those maps going, why can't they make up their minds who owns the land to like now, like having this more deeper connection to yeah. all those teachings that are embedded in that map. Actually, totally. you get that, that like aha moment where you're like, Oh, I, I see what I was missing yeah. and how much better that is than even our current state. Right. Of like, Oh, I'll own this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, and I don't give people, um, 
heck or you know where they should be like uh, Mm -hmm. it's this continuum uh, from neocolonial denial to active practices we're all sliding up and down it you know every day and Mm -hmm. um you know someone takes a few steps in and then runs back out and comes back in that's great you know like it's gonna it's gonna take time for these conversations to normalize for us to know how to say um say the words to each other how to unlearn supremacy even with each other because that's supremacy actually when you're policing what you can say and what you can't say right yeah Hmm. so much decolonial practicing to to work on (laughs) gotta break down this whole colonial system but if i'm i want to be totally candid here it's like because i with the email thing and like adding the you know sent from the ancestral lands or territories of like i've added that to my email and removed it so many times because i feel like oh, I don't want people to think it's like tokenism or I don't want people to think that I'm like some sort of woke white guy because like Zach and I as like able-bodied white, can I say like young-ish men, like we were at the top of the privilege pile and that's not lost on us. And I just like, so I, I'm even in this moment, like feeling conflicted, like I want to have that in there, but then it's like, I don't want people to make assumptions about me but it's not about me, mm-hmm. right? And it's about maybe someone seeing that me and like, oh, like next time I see Dean, I want to ask him about that. And then having an answer mm-hmm. that would hopefully inspire someone else to be like, oh yeah, like I can put that in my thing too. Or even something as fickle as like an Instagram post, you know, when I'm mindful of it, to not just tag like a location that I'm in, but to actually try and find whose who's land am I on and then find that indigenous place name and put it in as the place name as a reminder of like this is but then I always have that sense of like should I do this is this my place to do this you know mm-hmm. and like that's something just like to get over in myself but I think it speaks to the process of like how I just loved what you said about like have an answer for why you're doing it because then there's intention and authenticity behind it it's not just like trying to look a certain way or be performative but it's genuine you're trying to preserve place names or draw attention and awareness to like these things matter it's not relegated to history it's now yeah yeah so i'm grateful even just in this moment for the the learning and the kind of like things that are coming up in me and recognizing myself like in in this conversation being like oh man yeah there's things that i felt that i could take those steps on you know Mm -hmm. so grateful yeah good and that's that practice part right mm-hmm. so that's even yeah like having that critical conversation with yourself great mm-hmm. right having the answer for it great that's your decolonizing practice you know from now on i'm going to include indigenous place names in in my instagram post and then write ask me why i do this mm, yeah you know, oh, I like open that. it up invite right? the conversation like, put that on your email i never say don't do the email but i say like you know know why and then really believe every word that you add to it mm-hmm. right? yeah so and, and also, like, try to look at it from other perspectives, too, because I had someone ask me, well, is it okay if I say that I'm a guest in your territory? And then I said, well, are you a guest? Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's are a good you? question. Yeah. Did my family invite you? Yeah. <laughs> right? Did yeah. you bring yeah. a gift? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. I saw this great hat, uh, and it was, it's like, you are on native land. Well, it's like a shirt and hat, and it's like, a, I think it's from somewhere in the States. It's like an indigenous-owned business, and they sell all this stuff, and they always post it, and then someone always comments like wait like do you have one that says like we and they're like no because we are not on stolen land (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's funny because I was confronted because I thought I was like, oh yeah, at first I was like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Like we're like collectively, but then I'm like, no, we collectively are not. Some of us are, and some of us are just on their land. I was like, yes, yes, that's so, but those are like little, right? Even just through, through a message on an Instagram post, it's like, you can see that and you can learn that and be like, oh yeah, no, they're not on stolen land. We're the ones on it. Yeah. Or being a guest. Can I say I'm a guest? Well, are you? Yeah. Oh, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. We just intruded. We're those party poopers that came into the party and said we're here and, uh, Weren't on the weren't on the guest list. Yeah. Yeah. Stayed the longest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're still here. <laughs> Cannot read the room. Yeah. But I remember hearing in university, I remember hearing a line and I've, I've shared it with you, Zach, before and it's stuck with me for forever. And uh, I w- I've tried to find it online. I don't know if you would know. I wanted to find out who said it. But there was a conversation, I think, between um, uh, Captain Cook, who came to Vancouver here, and one of the... Squamish or Musqueam elders and it was a conversation about coming to the land and being here and he was like thanking him or something for welcoming them and the response was like uh, we welcomed you but you stole our generosity Hmm. and I just remember reading that and feeling gutted because that's what was presented and like when someone is generous with you and shares something the thought of like stealing that just feels so wrong. Mm-hmm. And then the prof at the time was like, this is a picture of what colonialism is, is stolen generosity. And I was like, oh my God. Like it just hit me in a way, like I say, I, I'll never forget it. But that line is like, because that's what was presented. Mm-hmm. Come, welcome, right? And then to take that is just so, so awful and so wrong. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know where I was going with that, but it just kind of shot through in terms of this conversation. But no, I love that. I mean, it's such a it really shows like the the intersection of values, right? Mm-hmm. So we really are um, like if you look at the the system of wealth at the time, you know, a wealth was determined by how much you could give away, right? And the church just couldn't deal with that so it was mm-hmm. outlawed the practices of, of potlatching and right. and gifting and those teachings of generosity are still so important to us right and it's often often talk about that in terms of host nations uh teachings you know that how important it is for us to host well mm. you know it's even how i run my facilitations how i design all of my things it's caring for everybody that's in that room right this matriarchal leadership model you know which is like um, what I call like mothering the world, like mm. mothering the world with the commitment. So staying through the hard time, providing reprimand when needed, right? But also really uh, just this care, you mm. know. So that was so important in our teachings. And and uh, I I had I haven't heard the quote, but I just know like what um or what oration means in our culture. We're such strong speakers. It's a huge part of how we teach, how we learn, how we uh, connect. Um, I was in ceremony a couple of weeks ago and there's so much um, speaking and, and sharing of knowledge and just every single Squamish person that stood up was this incredible speaker, you know, and I'm just so, so proud to come from that lineage. So yeah, when you share like, you know, who could say two devastating words together, like a, a Squamish or a Musqueam elder, right? That's, 
That's exactly it. So I hadn't stolen generosity. Um, yeah, I, and I talk about like, you know, the colonial business model is like get as much as you can, pay as little as possible, right? So for me to be a business person in this culture of extraction, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm trying to practice generosity and I'm trying to practice reciprocity and I've finally reached a point in my business where I really only work with people who stay in that model with, with, with us. And yeah. I've been able to let go of... Um, people who aren't ready for that model mm-hmm. who really just want to like take more and take more and pay less and pay less um when i really believe that this other uh, way of being like could be valuable for everybody mm-hmm. yeah everybody can win if we choose that yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah. everybody has something to offer yeah right every person has something to offer so that's really the you know the reason the reason to dismantle racism and colonialism Mm -hmm. we don't even know the forms of intelligence and stories and um math or anything (laughs) because it's only been you know like white male history Mm -hmm. you know this um these ideas i mean that is changing truly Mm -hmm. you know but um yeah i'm excited for when when it's just like remember a long time ago when we only had those those white guys on the money and the history books and all yeah. these things, right? Yes, yes. Now we understand all these ways of being, and you know we can make choices and and honor them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and move move forward in a direction that is like honoring to all, and recognizing that like that's gonna that's gonna make some people feel like they are dishonored which is a lot of work to say no you've just been privileged for such a long time that you're mistaking your privilege for like this like your rights that you you deserve all of this attention or that the world should just work for you but it actually that's not good for like all of these people who've been disenfranchised or dealing with less than for so long and we're trying to like lift everybody to the same plane which is actually believe it better for all of us mm-hmm. but when you've had that that space that you've held on to for so long it feels like you're now being victimized and yeah maybe we're seeing some of that playing out across the nation right now yeah we don't <laughs> yeah. we don't we don't need to go there I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah putting putting that aside because that's a whole conversation on its own um which you know we can go there if, if, if you want <laughs> there was um i was doing one of your just one of your mini courses uh, which are all amazing, and I recommend everybody everybody do. And it had this amazing little graphic that broke down decolonizing, indigenizing, reconciling, and self-actualizing. self-actualizing. Um, can we go through some of those other terms and, and how they work together and this kind of symmetry here? And um, I was also interested how decolonizing and reconciliation, how they can work together, again, individually and collectively, because I think it has to start individually before we can i mean hopefully they're both happening at the same time but there has to be individual ownership as well chomsky's having a nap if you if you hear him in the background (laughs) yeah i love that graphic um i mean it's um, based on medicine wheel teachings and my husband is plains cree and uh, teaches medicine wheel um wellness uh, workshops which i've benefited greatly from having more balance in my physical mental emotional spiritual um and so yeah i just want to honor and attribute the inspiration for that graphic um 
And so, yeah, it's a circle and it's divided into four parts equally because each quadrant is as important as the, as the other quadrants. And um, I include reconciliation or reconciling in there, um, not because it's my favorite word. I actually really prefer redress. It's just more direct um, to reconciliation. But, um, you know, a lot of people are um, excited about reconciliation, and mm -hmm. so I include that in there as well. Um, but I include it alongside decolonizing. And, um, of course, my Instagram is decolonized first, so I think that's the first step is really undoing the ways that you're thinking, the ways that you're showing up. Uh, before you rush into reconciliation and try to extract a bunch of indigenous knowledge and not pay anybody <laughs> in order to reconcile, for example. Um, and then it's alongside indigenizing uh, because same thing, that space of indigenizing has really got, um, can look like cultural appropriation, for mm -hmm. example, just taking indigenous knowledge, putting it on your website or your, your t-shirts or um, or. Uh, like a big a university, for example, like hiring, you know, a 40K a year coordinator to uh, indigenize the academy, mm -hmm. right? And so no power, no authority, no resources. Um, and then, of course, it's not going to work. And then who will be blamed and who will be frustrated? The indigenous employee, um, you know, who really didn't, didn't have a chance to start with, right? Because there wasn't that decolonizing of, you know, looking at those, that colonial conditioning that says whose ideas are valued and, and what does this work deserve? Um, and then it's, it's packed in with self-actualizing, right? And in my workbook, I, um, I talk about how people really link uh, the idea of self-actualizing to Maslow. Oh, okay. um, and there are some great teachings by Blackfoot scholar Heavy Head, um, that places Maslow actually in Blackfoot territory, mm -hmm. <laughs> extracting indigenous knowledge, right? The Blackfoot ways of being um, and presenting them as these, um, the Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? That yeah. um, people generally map that self-actualizing idea onto. But other nations, all kinds of people have um, ways of self-actualizing, you know? Uh, consumer culture doesn't want you to self-actualize, though. Mm -hmm. Consumer culture wants you to buy more stuff and like, never really feel complete, right? But, you know, Squamish, we have our sacred laws. We have ways that, you know, help us decide how to become our best person, how, to, how I carry my name, how I respect my ancestors is a way of self-actualizing. Mm -hmm. But I've got it on the wheel, um, really, to ask people, you know, to see yourself, like, um, like your self-actualizing self, like for example, Zach, the you know talking about how you want to commit more to um, the land acknowledgments now, mm -hmm. right? And um, so that's self-actualizing, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then the decolonizing is looking at the um, the colonial conditioning of oh, I don't think I want to do that because people think I'm I'm in in genuine or whatever the yes. insecurities were, right? I'm not going to do it right. Um, you know, and then how that fits in with indigenizing, like I said, you know, connecting to the land in a good way, like being a relation to the land, uh, and then and then reconciling uh, or redress, you know, um, would would be part of that same action, right? Mm -hmm. It would all be uh, encompassed in there. And so I made the graphic because um, people were saying to me, "Oh, we don't focus on decolonization here. We're doing reconciliation, or we're doing we're focused on indigenizing." Um, but to me, they all fit together and they're all equally important. And um, it's definitely the self-work and the system work um, and really needing to have that decolonial lens on things that I mm -hmm. talked about earlier, right? And that's how you're going to be able to see what you want to do um, in a different way. But yeah, it's a really, um, a really like handy way to 
uh, also decide how you are going to take action and sort of how the action will look through each of those quadrants, right? How does it contribute to each of them? And then who are you within the work? That's that self-actualizing, deciding to be somebody who's in service of, um, you know, undoing colonialism is self-actualizing. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we've both been learning and focusing on this year is kind of the steps of learning, embodying, and taking action. And I, I feel like this wheel kind of captures a lot of that in a decol decol decolonizing practice, practicing sense, um, like taking unlearning. I'd add another step there because there'd be, in this sense, there'd be unlearning and then relearning or learning and then embodying that learning and then taking some sort of action with that learning. And um, maybe that starts with a land acknowledgement or... Um, some sort of re reconciliation um but i i love the the flow of how all of those working together and having the equal importance so mm -hmm. thank you yeah it's such a good teaching and it just gets you away from that colonial conditioning of hierarchy you know yes. that we have to just jump into hierarchy right away and you know, we teach in some of the workshops, we do decolonial introduction, mm -hmm. you know, and that's where you're showing up and saying, like, who are you? Who's your ancestors? Whose territory did you grow up on? Right. All yeah. sharing all that connection and all that relations. Right. Um, versus the colonial um, introduction is typically this, you know, who am I? What's my job? You know, you might say your neighborhood, which is code for your money, right? Yes. And we just get right into this hierarchy with each other. And that's that's conditioning. We can change that. We can change how we show up with that. And so uh, that's also a decolonizing practice, yeah. right? I love that you uh, map that onto this idea and add the unlearning. So the unlearning, that's the decolonial part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. We sometimes ask this question on our podcast, which is so funny because people want that to give that colonial answer of like asking like, who are you without, like, naming your job, your accomplishments, like, your things that you own? And people are like, uh, 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 like, they don't know how to answer it. And yeah. that just kind of, like, speaks to kind of how boxed in we are into this colonial system that we can't even answer who we are without, like, a job title or some yeah. sort of, like, financial, capitalistic, like, um, ownership of things. Um, so it's, it's great to, you know, do that, that work and be able to even answer to ourselves, like, who am I without applying your job title or things that you own or, um, accomplishments that you've had in, in sport or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's great. Um, let's see. So if people want to, to take if they're enjoying this conversation, um, you've got you've, you've done an incredible job of putting a lot of these programs onto your website. So, um, I just wanted to kind of go over a few of the other other kind of platforms that you've you've shared through your site, and one of them is your your decolonizing game, uh, Sinalke and Ladders. How did yeah. I how did I say that? That sounded good. Okay, <laughs> uh, we kind of touched on it um, previously in the conversation, but I just wanted to like get into it a little further and I think it's such a if you can make learning fun uh, and give room for people to fail and make mistakes um, like what was the word you said you used when you kind of fall down the ladder and you can relearn and, and try again yeah just the do-over it's the just do -over. really I'm all about the do-over yeah. you know that we just have to learn to 
admit to a mistake and say you're sorry and like I said have some grace and for yourself and uh, and and then you know and correct and actually we can't move forward if we can't correct mm-hmm. right we we're just going to defend where we're at right like there's actually no chance of change so the game is really about um about that uh that journey you know that it's this up and down journey and um I just I have such a cute story that I was playing the game. Uh, the game, by the way, is ten feet by twelve feet. Amazing! So oh, wow. people okay. walk through the game. So you're on it. You're in it. Oh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. incredible. Yeah, it's embodied learning. I love that. <laughs> wow! And so you're walking up ladders when you do something great. You're sliding down, you know, in a bit of embarrassment when <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. when you make a mistake, um, you know, and you've got the community of people around you because I I do it in workshops of thirty people, mm-hmm. right? And so. Um, and so it was great because we were we were at UBC and uh, there was somebody from England who uh, uh, in the closing circle said, you know, you um, colonized this game from England, right? And I was like, mm, I don't think so. And the, another uh, a friend, actually a South Asian friend, said, actually, you know, England colonized the game from India, you know. And then uh, we had some lunch and he shared that um, the game was a, originally a spiritual teaching tool. And he told us how his grandfather had played the game with him and had taught him different spiritual lessons and and same as this um, this imperfection, you know, of 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 the journey of learning in life, right, mm-hmm. and unlearning. And so that was just so beautiful. He was so um, happy to see that the game had become this teaching tool again. Um, yeah. And that we had recolonized it with our Squamish ways of being. Yeah. <laughs> so Heck good. yes. Yeah. Need more of that. That's so cool. But to use it as a way, like, because that's the thing, you know, especially if you're doing it with adults, right? Often we want to just sit there and observe and listen and get the learning and feel like, okay, yeah, I understand. But to get up physically and have to move, it like immediately kind of bumps you to the edge of your comfort zone, right? Depending on, you know, if you're an extrovert, you're like, let's do this. But for the introverts, they're like, oh my God, okay, fine. But it gets you like physically into it. And it, I think it's a, it's a beautiful way of showing people like, listen, you can slide down the ladder, but you're not out of the game, Yeah. right? You can make a mistake. You can do, say the wrong thing, but you're still in it and you have a chance to like go back up again. And chances are you remember much better. Like, oh, I don't want to walk down the ladder again. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. right? And it's happened. People have slid down the same thing. And then the other thing people have said is that, um, you know, they couldn't leave. Yeah. Right. Whereas in in real life, you know, if you're uncomfortable or someone says something and you don't know what you you can leave. Mm. But here in this space, you know, and also, like I said, it still is grounded in that caring um, and you've got your circle of colleagues around you. And so there's just this other way of understanding not getting something wrong. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It makes it it makes it OK. Yeah. Like it doesn't make doing the wrong thing OK, but it, it makes it OK to get it wrong. But to try again and yeah, move forward in that sense, which mm-hmm. is really important because, again, that more colonial mindset is like, oh, if you're wrong, you're wrong and you're out, you're out of the game or you made a mistake. And I mean, cancel culture and all that, like you said this, you did that. And so you're finished versus like, can this person learn and make redress and move forward? And if they can, like, why aren't we creating opportunities for that and celebrating that when someone says, oh man, I was wrong. I made a mistake. I slid down the ladder, but here's me like, here's what I did about it. And here's my learning to, to not embody that space again, but to come, come to this new understanding, this better understanding of who I am. So I think that's like so helpful. I want to, I want to play it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We got to hook that up. Yeah. Let's do it. I think it's so genius to bring the playful nature into it too. Cause I think that's just like such a barrier to 
takes down a barrier for learning and possibility. Uh, we talked about like, you know, decolonizing our own practices can make people feel uncomfortable or, or nervous or whatnot, but you bring play into it and they're just learning because you kind of return to that childlike state, which is one of learning and openness. So mm. I think that's um, just taking down uh, boundaries, decolonizing boundaries and making like so much possible. So yeah. you said another thing that um, kind of stuck with me there when you you said in, in, you can just leave. And I think that kind of speaks to, um, you know, the colonial privilege that a lot of us settlers have. Yeah. We can just leave if things are uncomfortable. We can just that's our privilege. We can just leave. But uh, a lot the, you know, the indigenous population here couldn't just leave. Um, they don't, you didn't necessarily have that, that privilege to walk away from the atrocities, atrocities of colonialism. So I think if, if you're listening and you realize you can just walk away from something that makes you uncomfortable, um, just realize your privilege and, and, and maybe check yourself there because it's not mm -hmm. the same privilege for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if it's just a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's a teaching tool. Yes. Right. That's where even not having the opportunity to play it, like I feel like we're and even more so having to go through it, like getting to go through it. But those lessons would be even more on display. But just imagine it imagining it and visualizing it and hearing about it, it's like, oh man, the the resource is wonderful for all of these mm -hmm. takeaways that people would have, right? One one other thing that I was reading on your website was um, helping and harming and just kind of learning um, which words need to stop and which ones need to be shared. And I was just kind of thinking about my own history again with what I learned in high school. And Dean and I were talking about this before you got here, how we like really romanticized indigenous history from what we were learning and um, how just kind of looking at that now, some of that is harmful and can lead to erasure of like true history like uh i'd read books like like even saying these out loud i feel are problematic now like indian in the cupboard and right. stuff like that and i just like kind of fantasized and romanticized this like this culture that i saw as utopic this connection between like man and nature and animals and and i kind of bypassed a lot of the true history because I was romanticizing um, like these Disney-esque stories. And I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about what's harmful and what's helpful and what we need to stop saying and, and maybe some of the words that we need to be sharing more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I use that axis of uh, helping and harm. It's also in the game. So the Saint Alkai is our double-headed sea serpent. Yes. And so there are things that look like helping but are harm harmful. So mm -hmm. yes. I mean, even calling you know these awful uh, institutions residential schools. Yes. They schools. clearly were not schools. They're not schools. Yeah. Right. Like how many schools have you know wh what we know you know these institutions did and. Um, yeah, still have evidence of. So that's one example, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and then that was meant to like framed as something helping by adding the word school to it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, and so that's sort of the most obvious. But this helping harm um, axis comes up all the time, and it's a really uh, good analytical tool for everybody 
who you know wants to reconcile right is to be able to look at that like so let's say for example you want to say oh now i want to hire indigenous youth you know to work at my film studio right um so it looks like helping but you don't do any cultural safety prep or decolonization right so these youth come in and they're treated bad why the staff are mad at them what are you doing here no one's talking to them no one's telling them what to do right like and this is a real story by the way mm-hmm. <laughs> this just happened last year um and the youth is an nda so they aren't allowed to say anything you know but this person got a lot of, of good press for helping indigenous youth and really left some people in really bad mm-hmm. uh, bad position so that's like sort of a macro helping harm right yeah. and then um you know other helping harm like um people telling us how we should talk about things or feel about things right like that's supposedly helping um and obviously harmful mm. right but uh justified you know by racism you know so i mean our health care there's an incredible report um from in plain sight um on the racism in healthcare towards indigenous people, mm-hmm. right? And everyone thinks, oh, the, you guys have free healthcare, you know, but it's at the cost of colonial violence, right? Yeah. That's finally been televised, you know? Oh my um, gosh. And finally people are becoming aware, you know, but that's just another example. So I think, yeah, I provide that axis. Um, the other one is intention and impact, right? So sure, talk about your intention, but really look at the impact, mm-hmm. right? Um, so just being, trying to be more honest, trying to like have some critical awareness of, of, of your own actions or, or maybe where you work or even, you know, looking at like government initiatives, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just a lot of people say to me, well, like, what do I do? Tell me what to do. Right. And so <laughs> that's their way of like helping or like reconciling, you know, and um, I always say like, Really smart people have said what to do, right? We've got UNDRIP, we've got the TRC calls to action, we've got MMIWG2S, uh, National Inquiry calls to justice, right? There are like just hundreds and hundreds of suggestions on what to do, you know, but um, that's just so harmful just to sort of try to pin it on me, right? Mm -hmm. And then not offer me anything for my time, right? So um, that's harmful too, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not being like, in good relations and it's just a way to uh, pretend that you don't know what to do or not really put in the the labor and time to examine what what you can do Mm -hmm. right everybody can do something Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. because sometimes it's like the the quick fix like is there something is there something i can do and again i mean it's hard because everyone has their motivations but like is there something i can do that will make me feel better is often like and that might be where we start. Sure. Maybe, maybe that's our starting point. And as long as we're starting, but it's interesting that it's like, oh, like I learned some things. I feel bad. I have like shame about yeah. those things. So now what can I do to like mitigate that? Mm-hmm. And it might not be about what can I do to like help the other. And so I, even in that, like there's work, there's work baked in right at step number one. Yeah. Even right? in help the other. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that's really uh, where it, that's the self-actualization. Mm-hmm. And then that's applying these analytical frameworks to yourself. You mm-hmm. know, like, why am, why am I helping? You know, what is this help? Yes. Um, like the word development, for example, it just drives me crazy. Right. That means that you want me to be more like you. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, like yeah. that's another colonial code word to me. Yeah. Right. So it's really unpacking language, you yeah. know, and 
and then unpacking really like how we're doing these things. So I guess that's really what, you know, the, my, my bottom line with all my work is trying to support people to, to take action. I really do want everybody, all hands on deck, undo colonial impacts, right? But I want you to examine how you're doing them, mm-hmm. right? And then I want you to have shared knowledge, right, with with your friends and with the people around you who have also been doing the work, right? So um, to have the shared language and knowledge so you can just keep getting better at it, you know, which means having critical awareness, which means having empathy and having the good relations, and having that awareness of the colonial conditioning within yourself, you know, that maybe it's not help, right? Yeah. Maybe you could support an existing uh, Indigenous program, mm-hmm. right, to do, they can work with Indigenous youth, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> support them to do that. Send your money that way, right? And sometimes that's, that's, that's what it is, is like, don't take the initiative, support the initiatives that are already going. Yeah, because yeah, that's so important. We can, we can often reinvent the wheel, when there's people that are like, yo, we're doing that. We'd love the help, yeah. right? <laughs> like, and we're probably doing it better than you ever will yeah. or could just because of like connections and who they are and that it's like, yeah, don't, don't just hire youth, but like, can you empower an agency or, yeah, I like that. One, one thing that's inspired me this year has been all the indigenous land defenders. Um, it's amazing. Like we're still, you know, fucking up in so many ways and we're cutting down these old growth trees that are, are connected, you know, in, in spiritual senses and, and biodiverse kind of so many scientific senses of, of how they support forest and ecosystem. And, and of course, it's indigenous communities, again, that are like protecting these trees that protect the environment for all of us. So... Um, that's, that's one place where I've been trying to support and I think we all, all need to because we need these trees to, to be able to have these ecosystems of fresh air and fresh water that we are so dependent on. And it's just crazy how we just like keep getting it wrong. Like our government, uh, you know, won't address and, um, to kind of get to where I'm trying to go, go with this is, um, I really admire the compassion that you, that you have and, I feel like um, there's so many reasons that um, yourself and the Indigenous community as a whole can be angry about. And I think just seeing, I'm sure you're angry about a lot of things, but just sitting here, I can see your compassion and I can feel your compassion. And I think that's where we can come together and we can we can learn with full hearts um, because compassion invites us in and it doesn't build walls. So I just wanted to thank you for, for your compassion. And um, I want to be mindful of your time. I don't want to take up too much of your time. You've already generously shared so much. Um, I thought we could, we like to end things with a bit of random fire, rapid fire, but they're really just random questions. Okay. Uh, so I thought maybe we could go there for a few minutes and then yeah. we can wrap things up I love it um this one's not that random and I'll probably say it wrong but I just loved um the meaning behind it and I thought maybe you could share it I'm gonna try to say it Chen Chen Stui yeah is that close yeah Chen Chen Stui so that means uh lift each other up it's our it's one of our sacred laws again I I shared a little bit about the Squamish self-actualization and Mm -hmm. that's one of them and it's the opposite of helping right so when helping one person has the power and the other person doesn't. But Chen Chen Stui both, everyone contributes to Chen Chen Stui. I love that. Just hearing that, like, if you're like, I'm going to help, 
there's a power dichotomy right there, hierarchy. Um, so supporting, supporting rather than helping. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. cool. Just out of curiosity, like obviously language is such an important part of any culture and you're someone who has uh, like the Squamish nation's language. Is that, help me, is that the Hunkaminam language group? Like what is the language that you would say you speak in terms of your indigenous or first language? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fluent speaker, but our language is Squamish Snaitchum. Okay. Right, it's not Hunkaminam. And I just think that's so cool that in the city of Vancouver, there are two mm-hmm. indigenous languages, yes. right? Um, and there are similarities uh, for sure, but they are also very different. So Skoomish uh, Nechum, I'm, yeah, I, I know how to introduce myself. I know some key concepts. Um, my dad's a residential school survivor, uh, really didn't get a chance to hold on to the language. And uh, thankfully, some of his younger siblings, my aunts and uncles, um, didn't go. And there's just this vast difference between how connected they are to the culture and language. And so I've been able to learn um, you know, my uh, some parts of my language, at least protocols, ceremonies, songs, uh, through my family. But yeah, I, I'm a board chair for Quilt Stalmoch, which is a Squamish uh, language resurgence organization. So I give um, as much of my time and talents as I can towards people who are um, uh, uh, teaching the language and learning the language. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's like an ongoing, because um, I know in the last few years, like it's been a big push to like, get people to share because some of the keepers of language are like getting older. Yep. And so trying to get as much of that information as we can to preserve and expand the understanding that's there. Is there like a I think you just did what I was going to say. Is there like a one group or agency that we could shout out to say, Hey, this is like, if you're looking to learn more or get in touch with or support, this is one that you would do. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, look, check out the Squamish Atlas. Um, and there are connections to the, to the, 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 um, the language teachers. And so if you make a financial contribution through that website, it goes directly to uh, Squamish language teachers and, and students. Awesome. That's so cool. It's so, Colonial and, and funny that we say Canada is a bilingual country when there's like probably hundreds of <laughs> languages here. Yeah. Probably more than hundreds. I don't even know. Like, yeah. Well, there's 200 nations in, just in BC. Right. <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Bilingual country, my God. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if people are resonating with this conversation, and I, I hope that everybody is. Um, if people want to continue their education, I really love reading fiction and I got really into like Eden Robinson's books, for example, in the last couple of years, I think I read all of them cause they're just so incredibly well-written. Um, I thought maybe I could ask if, if there are some fiction and some nonfiction books that maybe you would recommend, or we can always check your website for, for resources that uh, you shared there. Yeah, I mean, I just lost my love of reading through doing my thesis, of right? Um, but <laughs> I'm I'm obviously reading Jody <laughs> Jody yeah. Wilson Raybould, yeah. um, big fan, and just love the writing and yeah, Indian Indian in the cabinet, yeah, right? Is uh, yeah. is that is is the new version of Indian in the cover? Yeah, right. Real life stories from the cabinet. So definitely check out Jody's stuff. Okay, okay. cool. Um, one way that I think people can make changes by voting for people that represent these issues or um if if we want to find uh you know leaders in in political sense that are are championing indigenous issues obviously Jody was one of them 
Um, are there, are there other um, indigenous leaders that are, are local politicians that we can kind of put our vote behind that um, you're supporting? Yeah, I mean, you know, the city of Vancouver, well, all the municipal elections are coming up, right? So yeah. really asking folks to you know, look for indigenous yeah. candidates, uh, support them financially. That's the biggest barrier. I yeah. mean, myself, I was asked to run, you know, I just, um, I don't have that kind of money to mm-hmm. not work for, you know, the the months that it would take, right, to um to just be campaigning, right, mm-hmm. and things like that. So that's the barrier. Um, so, yeah, just support uh, Indigenous candidates directly if you can, um, because I've seen some games uh, played where party puts Indigenous face on poster, party collects money. Yeah. Party does not pay Indigenous person, yeah. like, literally been in these conversations, so that's all very real. Um, yeah, I'm not sure who's running... Uh, uh, around here, but just mm-hmm. yeah, just everybody, just be on point, mm-hmm. support those candidates, um, and be open and honest about um, about the money behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, just I think that's another conversation that's so real and such a barrier. Um, so we need to undo that. Okay. Mm-hmm. It feels like we've been in this kind of like time warp since like around this time, 2020. But what's uh, looking forward? What's one thing this year? that you are excited about or looking forward to either doing or seeing or attending or whatever it might be. Yeah. really excited to be back in indigenous community, you know, like in ceremony, in, Mm -hmm. um, celebration, right. So there are all kinds of different, uh, celebrations that happen within urban indigenous communities too. I love a good indigenous music festival. Uh, for example, I'd like to see those happen again, uh, this year and, uh, and even just, yeah, just visiting everybody Mm -hmm. just makes me really happy. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Um, just on a fun fun note, are there any Netflix shows or anything that you're enjoying these days? Oh, God, I'm so hooked on Secession. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's intense. It's dark, but yes, it's good. It yeah. <laughs> I know. My wife was like, I don't know if I'm going to finish. You might have to finish this one right? on your own. But I like it. It's good. And then you tune in again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think I've been thinking about that because I'll watch the morning show. I was watching Secession and... You know, great filmmaking, but I think, you know, they also help us like process some darkness, you know, and I think that's what's really good about these shows. And, you know, you mentioned my um, my compassion and, you know, like, of course, somebody who works in social justice, of course, I have anger and rage and um, I have I run I do. Uh, I punch while I run <laughs> that helps a lot too but I think these dark shows also yeah. you know kind of show us how not to be yes right and um, so yeah so I'm into it that's yeah. cool do you, know, do you have any other ones or should we uh, close her out uh, I guess we can I guess we can close it out for, is there, for is there this... anything that we're missing that yeah. you'd like to talk about or any questions that we didn't ask that uh, we should have asked? I'm sure there's, I mean, there's a lot, obviously, yeah. but uh-huh. if any come to mind. It's just, I mean, it's just a super vast topic, right? And I think, yeah, my, my closing words would be that, like, don't let that stop you, mm. you know? And I really still believe in social change as one conversation at a time, one yeah. person at a time, one action, and then learning at a time. And that's how I stay in the work. Yeah, so good. I love that. Seeing it. All right, so our very, very last question we asked to our guests, uh, Zach and I both um, wanted to have this podcast, as I was saying before, to create change and to help people, to inspire them through stories, through human stories and connections to just try and live into the self-actualization, right? To be a 
better, more caring, kind, compassionate version of themselves. And so we came up with, Zach came up with this great idea to call it a little more good because it feels attainable and achievable. But we like to ask our guests, like, what does that mean to you? Or what does that bring up for you? That phrase that's saying a little more good. Yeah, I think it really, um, you know, just encapsulates the, that statement that I just made, that it, it isn't the huge sweeping change, you know, it's, uh, it's the step, you know, from now to then. And it's even the step backwards when you mess it up, you know, it's all of those things. And just being in that, you know, honest, um, like caring space, like caring for yourself, caring for the world, um, caring for your community, right? It's that those accountabilities, that's really... Um, the sacred law of it all, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's how we do it. It's how we'll, it's how we're going to get there. It is all those little things. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for your time, for your space, for your energy, for, for what, what you're doing. I think your, your teachings and your compassion are allowing so many of us to, um, you know, take steps on this journey to hopefully self-actualization and decolonizing our relationship with self and country and community. So just uh, so grateful for you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. All right. All right. The convo. Yeah. Yes. Very, very, very grateful to have had that conversation, the opportunity to learn to do some unlearning and even to have some things like just come up in response to what we were talking about where I'm like, Oh man, I can be better there. Oh yeah. (laughs) I can be better in so many ways. And and, uh, I'm trying to unlearn all the things that um, I've learned in the past that uh, need to be unlearned and, and relearned. So yeah. And not even things that like we've, I think consciously learned, like not stuff that we've sought out right. to to have as like, oh, okay, like I'm going to learn about this, but just the fabric, the ecosystem that we've been like raised in, which is like colonialism. Yes. Rec- like the words, you know, recognizing that within yourself and then trying to undo that is like, that is so important. And yeah. And knowing that we're going to get it wrong, we're going to make missteps and mistakes or slide down, right? As we're trying to climb ladders, but eventually we're going to make missteps. And to know that like, yeah, we're not out, we're not out of the game, but we can, we can get back up and try again, Mm -hmm. right? Have the do over. It's so important to walk with humility and, and openness to just learn and be wrong, but not be defensive. Like it's a lot of work, but I think we don't really have a choice. We got to, we got to do this. I'm I'm personally so excited to to learn. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, exci- it's exciting. Yes, like it's this invitation to to be better, mm-hmm. right? For our entire community around us. Yes, and I've I, like I just as someone that loves learning, this is such a vast opportunity. Um, yeah, so so grateful. We've mentioned it a few times, but uh, I really felt like we were just like the energy that was held at the table. I felt like I felt like we were sitting with greatness, mm-hmm. like that we had that that lucky opportunity to sit in in the presence of of such greatness and, and learn and be present. And yeah, well, and the the community that I think like she represents the people that she's learned from right and she mentioned about you know things that she's able to share and things that she's not able to share and just like it just felt like there's an immense wealth 
of knowledge and wisdom that was hers and it has been distilled and given and shared. Um, just she has that like gravitas of like someone who is grounded in fully who she is both here and, and now and also in connection to like her relations and the people that have come before her. And it, yeah, it really was uh, a powerful, powerful conversation and connection for sure. All right. Well, I hope everybody enjoys and, and learns and unlearns and learns again. And uh, we'll see y'all again. Yeah. Soon. Be sure, be sure to uh, check out our website, decolonizeeverything.org. Uh, and follow her on Instagram as well for um, more learnings and just like getting a, a glimpse into her life and the things that she's passionate about as well as some of the um, links and stuff to her website. So check her out on Insta at Decolonize First. All right. Thanks all. We'll see you all again next week. Same time, same place. Yes. Peace. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.